saying, uh, I'm thankful that the elections are over. Amen. I, um, I realize 50% of the nation, and I don't think, well, I don't know whether 50% of this group are disappointed, 50% are, are not disappointed. I've, uh, if I counted correctly, I've been through 15 presidential elections in my adult years. And don't go back and figure out the math because it could be faulty. But uh, I can't remember one that has been as divisive, as fearful. I've heard more fear expressed by people both for, for Hillary Clinton in anticipation of Donald Trump being president or for Donald Trump in anticipation of Hillary Clinton continuing the policies of that. I've heard fear on both sides and all kinds of dire predictions of what's going to happen. And I'm not going to stand up here and make predictions of what's going to happen. Only the Lord knows. And, but I do want to, to offer a little bit of perspective tonight. Not my perspective, but I, what I hope is the Holy Spirit's perspective on where we are and who we are and the situation we're in. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to affirm several things as I get started. I am patriotic. I stand when the national anthem is played. Some of you that go to home football games know that I also take my cap off and put it over my heart while the national anthem is played at the football games because I'm on the sidelines. I uh, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States when someone leads in that Pledge of Allegiance, but also pledge allegiance to a, the Lordship of Jesus and to His kingdom and to the kingdom of God. And we don't have a pledge for that other than to affirm that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we are willing to make Him Lord of our lives. But I affirm that. Now, I don't predict the future. And I'm not going to predict the future. And if you ask me after this what I think is going to happen, I'm not going to tell you because I have no idea what's going to happen. But I suspect that the future will continue. But I want to remind us of Peter's perspective. In a very difficult time, in what I believe is the Holy Spirit's perspective. So grab your Bibles. If you don't have one or if you don't have a... A electronic Bible with you. There's some in the back of the, the seats in front of you. We're going to do a lot of Bible reading tonight, or I'm going to do a lot of reading and comment on several things that I think are important to us in a in the difficult time. But before we go to First Peter and read some of his things, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, help us to understand your word, understand your will. My desire, Father, and desire for all of us is that we see things from your perspective, that we see things as they truly are, and that we understand the times that we're in, we understand the situation we're in as your people, and that we, because of that, can live our lives in whatever situation we're faced with to your glory and to your honor. Help us, Father, as we look at your word to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Peter begins his book to 1 Peter to God's elect strangers in the world strangers in the world throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia think about that just for a minute if you're not familiar with the time that Peter was written probably around 60 AD the time of Nero as the emperor of the world and Peter's writing to those Christians who have been persecuted or are about to be persecuted that are scattered across the Roman Empire. He's not writing to one group of people in one lo not writing to Bentonville, Arkansas. He's not writing to the Galatian church or to the Roman church or to the Corinthian church. He's writing to those that he said are strangers in the world that they live in. That the world looked on them as weird as people that are strange and so I think first of all we need to understand that we as the people of God are strangers in the world we're scattered literally all over the known world today there are Christians on every continent there are Christians that we've never met they're followers of Jesus that are proclaiming Him as Lord, serving Him as Lord, that we have no idea where they are or who they are. So the Christians throughout the world are His chosen, He says. Look at His words. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. You and I, along with, hopefully, thousands of other people, millions of other people throughout the world have all been chosen by God specifically and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Why? For obedience to Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. God chose you and He chose me in the strangers in the world that we live in, strangers in, a, in Satan's world, to be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, to be sanctified, to be saved, and to be obedient to Jesus Christ. That's why we were chosen. That's why we're called out. That's why we are the church. That's why we are assembled here tonight, because we've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus and we've been called to be obedient to him in a strange world that we live in. Now, where I'm going with this is I don't know what's going to happen to the United States in the next 10, 5, 4, 2 years, next 6 months. There are all kinds of predictions as soon as Donald Trump takes the, the presidency then this is going to happen or that's going to happen or a lot of other things. I've never seen an election where there were as many protests after the election as there have been this time. Maybe I just wasn't awake and didn't pay any attention. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know. And Peter wants us to know as Christians, we've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus and we've been chosen to be obedient to him. Let's go on with what he says. I'm not going to read the whole of 1 Peter. You can do that tonight. But, but I do want to 
to point out some praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of his salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. My hope is not in the United States of America. I love the country. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I have lived some other places. I was born in Zimbabwe, Africa. I don't ever want to go there right now under the current dictator. I don't want to live there. I don't even want to go visit there. I've been there. Many of you have been other places. There's no other place that I want to live than the United States. I don't even want to live anywhere except Benville, Arkansas. But my hope is not in Bentonville, Arkansas, or in Walmart, or in the United States of America. My hope is in a living hope that's an inheritance in heaven, that's imperishable, that's guarded by God, shielded by God from everything else, and I am being kept by Him for that salvation that's been promised to me. So in one sense, whatever happens to the United States, it's not going to affect my inheritance. Whatever happens to Bentonville, Arkansas, or to Walmart, or whatever it might be, is not going to change my inheritance. My inheritance is a living hope kept in heaven for me, and he is keeping me for that. So if the United States, for some strange reason, because of the new presidency or because of ISIS or because of a hundred other things begins to fall. God has me protected from ISIS. He has me protected from the United States. He has me protected from anything else because he has a place for me in heaven. And that's my inheritance. So because of that, listen to what he says. Let's go on down continue to read uh, well, I lost my place verse 6 in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in peace, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So he says, have an attitude among you of rejoicing because of the inheritance, of knowing that your faith is going to be proved by trials. Everything's not going to be good. It never has been for Christians. Everything's not going to be peaceful, and everything else is not going to be an encouragement to you to be a Christian because the world, we're strangers in this world, and the world doesn't want to encourage us to be Christians. Satan wants to discourage us from being Christians. But he says, know that those trials will produce faith, and that will result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. And he goes on to say that you'll be filled with an inexpressible 
and glorious joy. So he wants us to set our, set our minds that whatever happens to our world that we live in, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next week, or whether it's 10 years from now, set our minds to end that siege of Satan with inexpressible joy and glory to the Father. And that's a mindset that I'm not going to... I'm not going to get all caught up in what's going to happen to our country or what's going to happen to our world or what's going to... Sure, I want my grandsons to live in peace. I want my grandsons to enjoy the freedom that I do. I want my great-grandchildren to enjoy that. But that's not where my hope is. That's not where my inheritance is. Therefore, he says, prepare your mind, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Okay, now he doesn't, his action there, we're gonna, he's going to define it in just a minute. He's not talking about action of protest. He's not act, talking about action of rebellion. Remember, he's under Nero. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. In other words, don't let your surroundings control you. Don't let the passions of those that are around you control you. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. We have a target. And that target is to be with Jesus when he's revealed. Set your hopes on that. Set your mind on that. Not on the present, not on the next 10 years, but whenever Christ comes again. That's our target. As obedient children, see, he's going back. We've been sprinkled so that we be obedient. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you just when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who's called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, "Be holy, because I'm holy." What's our target? Our target's when Christ is revealed. What's the present call us to do? Be holy. Always. Be holy as he's holy. Be like Jesus. Remember the title of this series as I started several months ago on Sunday nights. We call him Rabbi. Here he says, be like Jesus. Look at him. Let him be your teacher. Be holy like he's holy. Whatever comes, whatever the future holds, your target, your emphasis, my emphasis, my goal is to be like Jesus in all of this. In verse 17, since you call on a father who judges every man impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. It's hard for me and I don't know if it's hard for you, but it's hard for me to continually remind myself that I am a stranger on this earth. I'm not one of the other people on this earth. I'm a stranger here. And God calls me to be a stranger, and he says, live as a stranger in this world with reverent fear. Now, reverent fear doesn't mean quaking in uh, terror. It means in the realization that God is the ruler of the universe 
and that I honor that and I want to live for him because he is the Lord of the universe. And for some of you that are in my Wednesday night class this last Wednesday, remember that he, Jesus said, all authority both in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is our Lord now. He says reverent fear means that I follow Jesus as the one authority in my life because he's made him Lord over both heaven and earth. There is nothing else. And so he's the Lord that I follow. Look at verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. I'm going to be as honest as I know how to be. My faith is not in Donald Trump. My faith would not have been in Hillary Clinton. My faith is not in a Republican Congress or Republican Senate. My faith's in God. And all those other things are going to fail. I don't care how good a president he is. This, we're still living in Satan's world and things are not going to be as Christians want them to be. They never have been. There has never been a nation since the time of Christ when it was a Christian nation. There never has been a time when the most of the people in any nation that I'm aware of were followers of God according to his will. It's never going to be that way because it's Satan's world. But my Lord and your Lord has authority over all of those things, so he becomes the thing that I hope in. In verse 22, he says, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Ah, here's one of the first things that he says we've got to concentrate on doing. Now, I'm not going to take a poll and see how many of you voted for Hillary Clinton or how many of you voted for Donald Trump. Doesn't matter because we're Christians and he says our focus now needs to be on loving each other. Whatever your political persuasion was, whether you lost the election or won the election or whether you feel like there was no winning, there is winning in the people of God because he says our focus needs to be on loving one another from the heart. Had a conversation this morning with a extended conversation, probably 20 minutes at least, with a young lady who felt like that she wasn't loved and she wasn't appreciated and she wasn't cared for by this congregation. That should never be. And I'm as much at fault as you may be. But we've got to find a way to love every one of our brothers and sisters from the heart because we've all been purified by the blood of Jesus. We've been sprinkled by that blood and we were chosen by him. That individual was chosen by him just as much as I was. And I've got to love that individual with the love of Jesus. That's sometimes tough in the world we live in. Sometimes difficult. Therefore, in chapter 2, 
Remember he said be obedient, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. <clears throat> now I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm pretty sure that the last two or three months there was a lot of slander going on that the things that were said about Donald Trump and the things that were said about Hillary Clinton, some of them were not true. They were slander. Maybe most of them were not true. I don't know, because I don't know all the facts. But he says Christians don't do that. You don't repeat things about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or anybody else that you can't verify to be true, because it's slander. Says, rid yourself of that. Get rid of it. Get rid of any envy. Get rid of any deceit. Because why? Look at verse 10. Because you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, he's not talking about just Christians in the United States. He's talking about we are a part of a nation that transcends not only the United States, but all of the Arab countries, all of the African countries, all of the South American countries, all the Asian countries. There are brothers and sisters in Christ that are all a part of that chosen nation, a holy people, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, then, listen carefully to what he says. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. What's our challenge? Whatever happens to the United States in the next six months, two years, five years, ten years, hundred years, the challenge of the people of God is to live such a godly life in the midst of a pagan world that they see how we behave and they glorify God. Wow. See, I don't have time to I don't have time to get too involved in all the political things around me because I have enough trouble with enough time to do this. To live a godly life every day, all day long, where everybody around me sees what I do and praises God. If that's not if that's not enough to keep you busy for the next six months, ten years however long God, then there's some other things that he says, but I suspect that that's enough to keep me busy from now on, to live in such a way that everything that I do brings glory to God. <clears throat> Look in uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. You know, it doesn't matter to Peter 
or to the Holy Spirit who won the election from one on one level. It says submit to them. Submit to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority. We don't have a king, but that doesn't excuse us. Or to governors who are sent to him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. My challenge and the challenge I've observed on, and I don't do Facebook, but I hear people talking about Facebook and Twitters and all of those kind of things. I'm not sure. The only Twitter I hear is from birds occasionally. But there's been evil talk among brothers and sisters in Christ about people in the election. There's been evil talk about each other sometimes. And he says, don't do that. Don't even have evil talk about the authorities. Live as free men, but not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of the believers. Fear God and honor the president. He says, king. We don't have a king. But he says, you honor those that God has given authority to. He goes on to talk to slaves and masters, and we won't read all of that, but the, the germane part of that to me is, if you read that, he says, it doesn't matter whether your master is good or bad. It doesn't matter whether you have an evil master or a good master. Your responsibility is to live as a servant of God and serve that master as if you were serving God. An extension of that doesn't matter whether Donald Trump is going to be a good president or a bad president. Doesn't matter whether Congress is a good Congress or a bad Congress. Congress. My responsibility is to live a righteous life regardless of all that. Period. Whether I agree with them, whether I like them, whether I subscribe to their policies, whether I hate their policies, whether they're right or wrong, my responsibility is to live as a servant of God. Always. Look at verse 19. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to you, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. If you ever get to feeling sorry for yourself about what our culture, what the government, or what somebody else is doing to you, remember that Christ didn't deserve any of what happened to him. He didn't deserve be mocked at a trial. He didn't deserve to be beaten. He didn't deserve to be crucified. And he says, he's your example. He's your example. Live like he did. And he'll go, he'll come back to that in just a minute. Go down to chapter 3 now in verse, 
verse 8. Finally, he says, all of you, and there's a lot of other stuff we can look at here, but finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, the next time you're attacked as a Christian or made fun of as a Christian, bless that person. Not just not bless them in the way the world uses bless them, okay? You pray for them. You bless them. Do something good for them. Because that's what's going to show to the world that Christ's way is the right way. Again, Jesus was the example. When he was insulted, he didn't return the compliment. He blessed them. He goes on to say, again, I keep losing my place. Look at verse 13. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart, Lord Jesus as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't lash out against those that lash out against us. He says, answer them with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed in their slander. It's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was, just, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, talks about what he did in the spirit but he says Christ again is the example to us so in chapter 4 therefore since Christ suffered in his body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin now that's a perspective that's going to be a little hard for me to, to deal with if I'll just give you a hypothesis. Some predict that in 10 years that we'll be overrun by ISIS or some other radical group and we'll be deprived of all of our, 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 our freedoms. And he says, I'm supposed to look at that by saying, um, okay, this is helping me deal with sin. This suffering's helping me deal with sin. And to rejoice in that because it's making me more as God wants me to be. In verse, chapter 4 and verse 7, the end of all things is near. I don't believe that that's a prediction of the end of the world. It may have seemed that way to Peter and it may seem that way to some today. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. 
because love covers a multitude of sins. In the midst of whatever may come, there's one thing I beg the Bentonville Church to do. Let's love each other deeply. All day long, all the time, in every situation. Doesn't mean we always approve of each other, but let's love each other deeply because that covers, he says, a multitude of sins. Back to the, to the in verse 8, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. If he speaks, should do as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Whatever happens in the future, my focus and your focus in obedience to Christ is to do everything we can for each other, to each other, so God will be praised in all that we do and all that we are. And again, that's enough to keep me busy for the next um, however many years he gives me to live. So in verse 4, I'm in chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. If worse comes to worse than the United States and the church is under severe persecution, he says, remember this one thing. That's exactly what Jesus went through and rejoice in that so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should, be as a, if, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The conclusion of what I want us to to hear tonight and to see tonight, chapter 5, verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So my challenge to us tonight, to me along with you, is whatever happens in the immediate or the extended future of the United States, Christians are not the ones to throw up their hands and panic and say, okay, oh, this is all terrible. Our focus is to be obedient to Christ because we've been sprinkled by his blood. Our focus is to love each other with all of our hearts. Our, love, our focus is to use whatever gifts we've had to encourage each other so that at the end of all of that suffering, God could look at us and say, I've been glorified by you. I've been glorified by my kingdom that are strangers in this world. 
And we should never forget that we are strangers in this world, that this world will never be as God wants it to be until, as 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 and following say, until Christ has put all things under his feet and defeated death and then hands his kingdom back to the Father. And you and I want to be there in that kingdom when that happens. Let's pray again. Father, give us the wisdom to live the words of Peter, the words of your Spirit. We can't do it by ourselves. We depend on your power and your strength and your Spirit to make us into what you want us to be. That may include, Father, that may include difficult times for us as individuals and as a congregation. But, Father, strengthen our faith. Grow us for the salvation, for the inheritance that you are keeping for us. Keep us for that salvation. Keep us for that inheritance to your glory. It's in Jesus that I pray. Amen. If we can help you in any way tonight, if you need prayers or some other need, then make your way to the front while we stand and sing.